You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I have a very special guest for you. Carly Hayes is a registered dietitian with NutriSense Continuous Glucose Monitor System. And we are addressing the big question you've all had for me, which is seed oils. We're going to be talking all things seed oils and their impact on your metabolic health as well as your hormones. I hope you find this episode as fascinating as I did. Let's jump in. Carly Hayes, welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. I am so excited to have you here today. You are a registered dietitian with NutriSense, a company that I love and who's sponsoring this episode. And I was just excited to bring you on so that we could talk about hormones and seed oils and the connection to all of it with metabolism. I think this is a subject I get a lot of questions on and I'm glad to have you here. Yay. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love your show. I listen to it all the time. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. Oh, awesome. I'm I'm excited. <laughs> I love it when I feel like I'm talking into the abyss because I sit here and stare out at this field behind my house and just talk to my microphone and I never really know where it's landing. Instagram won't let me grow. So I can, I don't usually get a lot of feedback and I love it when I hear that people are listening to the show. So awesome. All right. So you know, as well as I do that poor metabolic health is really a huge factor in hormonal disruption and people don't seem to put the two together. A lot of influencers online will be like, hey, let's balance your hormones naturally. But they're never really doubling down on the root cause, which is metabolic disruption. And we know that seed oils, I believe, are actually more responsible for the metabolic health crisis that we're in as a society than even sugar is. So can you tell the audience, what are seed oils? First of all, just 101. Yes, definitely. I do think there's so much confusion there. There's a lot of misinformation about all areas of health, but seed oil seems to be the one that is popping up all the time now, as as I know you know. But yeah, when we look at what seed oils are, and to lay the groundwork for what I'll talk about today, again, there's a lot of unknowns. So I just want to dive into what we do know right now, what we can use in our own lifestyles, and then what's still unknown. So just trying to paint the picture of how we can use this information in our lives, as you always do with your audience. I love that you mention it um, in a practical way, like how can you actually apply this to your life? So I'll, I'll make sure to touch base on that. But yeah, just to lay the groundwork for what the heck these seed oils are. Um, again, there's a lot of misconception here. Sometimes vegetable oils get labeled as seed oils, but as you know, vegetable oils are also a type of processed fat, but they're not, they are not actually seed oils. So seed oils specifically is a type of those industrial processed oils that, um, in which the oil is extracted from crops of seeds. So think rapeseed, which is your canola oils, also very popular corn, soy, which is the most commonly used oil in the United States, um, cotton, rice bran, sunflower, and safflower seeds. So most of these processed seed oils are really, really high in a type of fat called PUFAs. And again, we hear this term thrown around a lot um, as kind of the evil um, fats in the fat category. But really what polyunsaturated fatty acids are, or those PUFAs are, is just a fatty acid that contains two or more double bonds. So probably not anything anyone needs to memorize, but just to to let you know what that is, that's what those are. And there are two specific types of PUFAs that are really, really critical for us to discuss when it comes to the health of humans. And those are omega-3 fatty acids and omega-6 fatty acids. So Uh, I think we are humans and we like to think black or white, good or bad. And so you'll hear omega-3s listed as the good omega fat and then omega-6s listed as the bad fats. And there is some truth to that, but just with anything in health, it's so much more layered and nuanced than that. But when we think of those two different types of omegas, they're both polyunsaturated fatty acids. They're both PUFAs and both can be present in seed oils, right? So when we think of omega-6s, if we want to, again, make it black and white, kind of um, simplify it a little bit, those are shown to um, enhance inflammation so they can cause inflammation. And then omega-3 fatty acids can inhibit inflammation. So we've got 
you know, both sides of the spectrum there. And the thing to remember is that they are competitively metabolized. So when I say that, I mean, they both go through the same metabolic processes. So if you have too much of one, that's going to inhibit how much you can get of the other. So when we think through the lens of omega-6, omega-3, the problem isn't necessarily all omega-6s. It's that our food system has changed so much that it's almost impossible to get away from omega-6s. And the ratio of those two fats is completely off, right? So we know that we need a good amount of omega-3s to fight inflammation and to keep that process running smoothly. We do need some omega-6s, but too much of those can enhance inflammation in a way that doesn't serve our body in any certain way. So if we think from a human evolutionary standpoint, we um, you know, used to have about an equal ratio. So equal parts omega-6, equal parts omega-3. And now as these have become just abundant in our food supply, that has skyrocketed. And the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 is 20 to 1. So that has just shifted like crazy. Um, and a lot of those things... As, as you know, I know you talk about on your show a lot, we, we eat a lot more processed foods. We eat a lot of foods with these added fats. So when we think of omega-6s, those are also present in seeds, nuts, poultry, all these good like whole food things that we can consume kind of in moderation. But when they're present in these really concentrated, dense oil forms, it just becomes really tricky to keep that ratio where we want it to be. And ideally, there's a lot of debate about this, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but ideally we want that ratio below four to one. So four parts omega-6 to one part omega-3. And the reality is we're just we're just not getting that. So um yeah, I love this. This is that was such a good summary. Uh I, I'm gonna back up and hit on some points and ask you too. So when we say vegetable oil, that's how we used to call it. Like, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a grad of naturopathic medical school from like the early 2000s, right? So we referred to the omega-6s as vegetable oil. In reality, there aren't too many vegetables that give us oil, right? So we've got avocado, but that's a fruit. That's not really... And I think they make the oil from the seed, don't they? So I, I'm, I'm in general, just to clarify for the audience, and I'm not saying what you said was wrong at all, but in general, I ask people, because I get a lot of questions, well, what about this oil? What about that oil? And I get it, I, my DMs blow up on Instagram or you know, in my emails. I ask the person the question, did it come from a seed? Go look it up. If it came from a seed, it's a seed oil. Now that said, avocado oil is one that I do believe comes from the seed. I might be wrong. It's generally considered a friendlier oil. Um, but then there's the whole conspiracy around, is it even real or fake, right? There's like that whole, I'm sure you looked into that too, like, is avocado even real? Is olive oil even real? A lot of it seems to be um, suspect on how real it is, depending on how you source it. So there's, I don't want to get it, I don't want to split hairs on that with the audience, because I always, people love to argue with me on this subject. So this is why I'm being really, really clear. <laughs> and then I think of sesame seed oil. I just don't use a lot of it. I do like sesame seed oil. It's it's one that I like. And then of of any oil that I would consider my my favorites, I would say would be tallow from beef, uh, coconut oil, which I don't know where they extract that from. Either it's the flesh or the, I guess it would be the flesh, right? That's all there is to it, as far as a coconut goes. Um, what I look for in my fats, more importantly, is I stay away from the ones you listed: the corn, soy canola. Canola canola is disgusting, you guys. It's like nobody should be consuming that. It's not actually safe for human consumption until they industrially process it, like you said. And then even then, I don't think it's safe for consumption. Sunflower oil, not as bad as some of the others. Um, safflower, I stay away from. But what I'm concerned about with my cooking oils is smoke point, really, when it comes down to it. So if I use, there is some question over whether olive oil can be cooked at higher heats or not. I'd love to hear what you think. I say use it cold, but if you're going to cook with it, we're not searing steaks with it at super high temperatures. And if we are cooking at high temperatures, I go with tallow or butter because I'm animal-based. Um, what are your thoughts on what the ones that are safe or generally considered better? How do you counsel people? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And there is a lot of debate about that, especially with olive oil. And I think that's the thing that sometimes consumers can get really frustrated. It's like, well, you told me to eat olive oil, but now I'm hearing that, you know, 70% of olive oils are actually vegetable oils in disguise. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of conspiracy around olive oil. So I think the big thing that you can do is get good quality olive oil. You need to know, you know, where it came from and when it was harvested or created so that you know, like how quickly to use it. Is it good? Because um, that's another thing too, is you want to use your oils quickly so that they don't become rancid and they're still quality cooking oils. But for high temperature cooking, I do think that all or avocado oil is one of the best ones, but also, yeah, I'm a big fan of coconut oil, um, grass-fed butter, ghee, tallow, I think those can all be used in cooking for low temperature cooking or for salad preparations or whenever you're going to use just a cold oil. I think a good quality olive oil is probably your best bet. But again, it's just finding out where that olive oil came from, making sure um, your fats are quality. And then I think this is something that we counsel a lot at NutriSense is um, there's a, a piece that comes with fats in that you want them to provide satiety, right? You want them to be filling. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to drizzle olive oil um, on a plate and eat that, that's not very filling, right? So you have to think about that component as well. And that's where whole food fats can be so much more satisfying, filling. And I always think of oils as just kind of a dressing. So you're using that a little bit for cooking or maybe a drizzle for flavor, but you're getting the bulk of your fats from the foods that you're actually eating. So your good quality animal products, you know, like a, a good quality grass-fed steak or some really good chicken or eggs. Um, there's some really great fat in there that's going to contribute to that satiety factor. And we don't want to rely on, on cooking oils or that liquid form to give that to us. So that's the other piece that I think sometimes people don't think about. Um, so to summarize, choosing really good quality stuff, um, knowing where it came from, and then focusing most of your attention on those whole food sources. Yes. And you guys, just a tip. I have a whole fats and oils guide inside my metabolic revamp toolkit that you can check out on my website. But I just want to throw that in there for people who want something more um, specific. Okay. So I'll say this too, before we move on, make sure you buy it out of a glass bottle that is dark in color, right? Like we, we don't want something coming to us in plastic that's rancid. So glass, dark bottle, if you can. And I realize that like my husband still buys the giant tubs of coconut oil at, oh, it, it breaks my heart, Carly. He buys, <laughs> he goes to Walgreens or Walmart or whatever and buys these giant tubs of, in plastic of coconut oil. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's any good or if it's garbage. But then again, you can find really good coconut oil in big tubs at Costco and they're plastic. So that's a tough one. I just want to give everyone a pass. We got to do the best we can, especially with the current situation we're in, like with the recession and all that. So do what you can, but ideally glass dark bottles so that things don't go rancid because the light actually shifts the oil to a more rancid state, which we don't want. And you're right eat it fast, eat it, eat it up quickly. Cause if you let it sit in the cupboard for too long, even in a dark glass bottle, it will go rancid. And so do the smell test. I don't know about you, Carly. I can pretty readily smell rancidity and oil, but my husband can't. Have you found that with clients at all that that's yeah, thing. I husband can't as well. So I'll notice and be like, oh, this this oil is bad. And he's been using it for weeks. No, no um, hint of that, right? So I think some people just have like a better sense of that. I remember in my dietetic internship, we actually went to a, I think it was the USDA and we saw them doing fat tests um, of like frying different things. And I walked in and immediately was like, this fat is rancid. Like you could <sighs> smell it. But some people were like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I think there is, you know, some people are a little bit more sensitive and observant to that. And other people, they could be eating a rancid fat for years and probably not even notice. Oh, what a disaster. I can even tell when my husband's hit too high a smoke point on something, when it's gone too far in the middle of cooking. I'm like, yo, take it off the heat right now. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong. And so I don't know, maybe that's just our our feminine ability to sense danger. Right. <laughs> just a little bit more observant with all things, including cooking oils. Yes. And then to ask about your ratio. Yes. So what I tell, what I told patients for years is look, so, you know, when I was graduating from school, it was all the rage to just pump high doses of fish oil into people. I'm not a super fan of that in every case. I do have my reasons for wanting to use like high EPA or high DHA in certain patients. And I do so 
under supervision, and I never suggest people go crazy with a fish oil. I have a fish oil in my line that I love, um, but I don't suggest people take high doses of fish oil without proper just somebody, you know, anybody, whether it's a dietitian or a nutritional therapist or a health coach, just somebody kind of guiding you because too much of something is too much of something because it is a PUFA, right? At the end of the day, it is in that PUFA category. But what I tell patients is like, stop eating so many damn omega-6s so we don't have to put so many omega-3s on it to put the fire out. Because like you said, it's that ratio. And I don't worry too much about like splitting hairs on like one to four, one to six. I just want to make sure people aren't consuming massive quantities of omega-6s and not getting any omega-3s. And then even we want some omega-9s in there. We don't have to get into that. But like having a ratio because your your cellular membranes is really what we're talking about here. They're fluid. They're fluid fat layers, bilipid fat layers, and they require 3, 6, and 9 to be fluid. And so taking too many of an omega-3 can actually start to make your cellular membranes stiffer. And taking omega-6s turns your cellular membranes into garbage. And that's what I want people to understand is that cellular turnover takes time. And if you've been living off the standard American diet and consuming massive amounts of omega-6s for your whole life, all of your cells are made of that. And it takes time to turn that over, which is a kind of a terrifying, gross thought, you know? So here's how I keep it simple. Just don't eat out of the house. Stop as much as you can, stop eating outside the house because the one factor you cannot control, you can get it gluten-free, you can get it dairy-free, you can get make all these dietary recommendations to the waiter, but the one factor you cannot control is the crappy oils that most restaurants use to cook. So I just try to eat at home and I try to be cognizant of my three to six. Like I'm, if I'm pounding sixes, I'm adding some threes. <laughs> that's, that's about as complicated as I try to make it. Exactly. And I think you bring up a good point is that a lot of times when we're counseling people or talking about this, they think it's all or nothing, right? I have to change up everything or I have to switch all these fats. But really the beauty and where you're going to find the most success is when you embrace that gray area. Because if you are just following the standard American diet, like most people are, it's not going to get you anywhere. You will uh, end up in that metabolic health state that you don't want to be in. So it's really these small little shifts that you can make every single day and just gradually making those better, more smarter choices and being cognizant of the things that you do have control over that can really help that ratio and make sure that you are supporting the optimal balance. So I'm with you. I'm not going to get my ratio tested very often. You know, maybe I'm curious every now and again, but I think for the average person, it's just bringing awareness. There's so many things in our pantry that are really full of omega-6 linoleic acid that we have no idea about things that you don't even think of. There's been um, a lot of, you know, attention drawn to those commercial nut butters. And now we have like natural nut butters that are better options. But what about, um, you know, creamers, coffee creamers, even if it's unflavored, usually a seed oil is the second ingredient in there. And I think an average consumer is going to think, well, this is just cream and sugar, right? I'm, I'm doing the right thing by choosing something that's unsweetened or, um, you know, from this specific brand. But when you really start to look and see all of these seed oils are all around us and it just takes that awareness piece and that slow modification of the things that you're doing every day that can make a huge difference. So there's yeah. so many good you know, products now that have that um, swap and maybe use avocado oil or those other you know, more metabolically health friendly oils that you can choose from. Uh, but the first step is awareness. Yes. And I would say just simplify your food, guys. Like just really simplify it. Like we have, it's amazing when you come and look at my refrigerator, it looks like there's nothing in there because we're, we eat so simply. And if we are using condiments, they come from either like Primal Kitchens or a company that we know is not using any seed oils, right? They're using avocado oil, but we just eat really simply. I mean, This is, I think, the biggest shift I saw with patients, and you probably deal with it more, but they're like, why are we putting creamer in our coffee? Like, why aren't we just using either a dairy creamer or a little butter or nothing? Like, why is everything so dressed up? Why are there so many processed foods in the cupboard and in the refrigerator? Like, just don't buy it. Like, just make it simple and get yourself down. My rules with label, food labels is for one, be able to read it. If you can't identify an ingredient, you probably shouldn't consume it. Number two, five ingredients or less is generally my standard rule. 
And whatever's listed first on the list is what it's highest in. So go look at your oat milk, guys. You'll be terrified. It's super gross. And I would never put that in my mouth. And I'm not trying to be elitist. Like it's just garbage. And I made a commitment to myself a long time ago. I'm not eating garbage. My mouth is not a garbage can. So I I just have simplified my food to down to the bare minimum. Another reason I did this to be totally honest is because when they're talking, you know, they were talking about, you know, the recessions happening, foods getting really expensive, really, really expensive, especially depending on where you live, um, that you maybe there's shortages of some things. I just got good at not eating processed foods. Like it just, it's really that simple. So I know that a lot of people want the swap out and probably in your line of business, people really find that comforting, but I'm pretty hardcore. I'm like, just don't freaking eat it. <laughs> just get it out. Get yourself down to like what I eat beef. I eat blueberries. I eat, I eat things with one or two ingredients in them, right? Like just what they are, how they either like the most processing was the fact that it got fermented or it got cultured. <laughs> you know, it's, I try to keep things really simple because that way I don't have to play a guessing game. I went out, uh, the reason I say this is I went out the other night with my husband, we never go out to eat anymore. And I had Thai food and man, did I feel rotten the next day. And my face was so swollen. And I know it was because all of it was cooked in these nasty seed oils that I never consume. And I used to think when I was out that my gut issues were due to maybe gluten contamination or whatever. But what I found that is pertinent to this conversation is that it was always the damn dressings. It's always the dressings or the sauces that get me. And I think it's the seed oils in the dressings and sauces. They create so much inflammation in my body and in my gut and in my face, which will get us to the hormone conversation in a second. But it's, you know, ask them to cook you some beef and butter, you know, make it simple if you have to eat out. But yes, we might have to give up some of the things we love, but sure is better than having garbage cellular membranes that, you know destroy our health so slowly and really are, I think, driving people straight into metabolic dysfunction. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's one of the best strategies you can do is focus on ingredients, focus on you know one single ingredient, and then learn some simple cooking strategies that help you turn that ingredient into something that's appealing for you and your family. I think when you're not used to that, that can be a really, really hard transition. So slowly maybe shifting some of the products that you can shift or that you're including more often in your diet and then, yeah, keeping it simple, focusing on ingredients. I always joke with uh, my friends that I grew up in an ingredient household. We didn't have snack foods. We had ingredients. So if you wanted to make something, you had to actually whip something up, put something together. And that's where I think working with someone that can maybe help you along those lines can can really help you there. But yeah. when we think about processing, you kind of mentioned this, but processing of seed oils You've, have you seen the video of, of that actually happening? If, if your listeners have not watched this, go to YouTube now, watch how they make canola oil. It will change your life. Uh, I think one of the things that in our food system, we're so sheltered from how things are made, right? We go to the store, we see beef on a plate and we buy that. So we don't see how that animal was harvested. We're, we're so disconnected from the processing of our foods that it becomes easy to accept when things aren't right. And seed oils is a really great example of that. So if you ever, when you look at the video, you'll see that they'll take those seed oils or those seeds, those specific seeds, and they will grind them into what's called a seed cake. And then they use, uh, they wash it in a solvent, usually hexane, which if that doesn't scare you in itself, you know, watch the video, but uh, they will use this solvent to kind of extract that oil from the seed. And then they refine it, bleach it, process it and bottle it. So when you hear all of those things and you see how it's made, it becomes something different entirely. It's not just this thing that you buy at the store and you use for your family. Now you can see that this is um, a very artificially made product um, and why it could be so harmful when we're trying to reduce processed foods in general. If you followed me for any amount of time, you know that I am constantly beating the drum on having optimal metabolic health, especially as we age, especially as we are walking into menopause and andropause. It is critical to avoiding all of the chronic lifestyle diseases that we're seeing in popular current society. Here's the deal. My hands down best biohack that I have found is the NutriSense Continuous Glucose Monitor. I love this thing. I use it quarterly to keep tabs on my own metabolic health. And I want to extend a discount to you today as a listener of the Dr. Tina show. 
you can get $30 off if you head to the show notes, head to the link, use the coupon code Dr. Tina, D-R-T-Y-N-A. That'll get you $30 off any subscription. I highly suggest you consider a three to six month subscription so you can really dial in your metabolic health, but any amount of time will be incredibly eye-opening. They have expert dietitians to help you. They've got a really cool app that gauges everything in real time and the dietitians help you figure out what the graphs mean. It's invaluable. Head to the show notes, link, NutriSense, Dr. Tina is the coupon code. Let me know how you love it. I can almost guarantee that something eye-opening will be shown to you. Grab it now. Canola oil is rapeseed oil, like you said, and rapeseed it, it it's canola is an acronym. It's not even like an actual type of plant. Rapeseed is the plant. Canola oil is Canadian oil low acid. That's where the acronym came from. And I don't have the story exactly straight. I'm not sure. But from what I understood, they had an excessive amount of it up in Canada growing and it grows, it's a weed. And they, it is not, it's got um, racinic acid in it, which is not, am I right? And it's not fit for human consumption. It's poisonous. So through this excessive processing system, (laughs) they turned it into something that they considered edible. And so this is where we're at. And I have no idea why. I'm sure there's all kinds of stories. And I know I've read some of them about why it is now standard in our food supply, but it's cheap, it's plentiful, and it's disgusting. And it's really doing a number. If you look at graphs of the introduction of these oils into, I'm old, okay, so I'm almost 50. And I'm old enough to remember when this happened. Uh, Back when I was a kid, everybody ate lard. They ate, you know, they would, my mom would cook bacon and then use the fat to cook with later. She would use tallow to cook with later. You know, basically like you cook up your your beef and you leave the fat in the pan and then you use that to cook with, right? It's really simple. And the shift happened somewhere in my elementary years where elementary school, where all of a sudden we were eating a lot of Crisco, a lot of Pam spray. And I watched both my parents balloon up. I watched my sister balloon up. I watched everybody in my family but me balloon up. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And you know what I did? I stupidly blamed it on meat. And I quit eating meat for a long time, which was a disaster to my utter disaster to my hormones. (laughs) So we're going to get to hormones, guys. We're getting there. But the rates of obesity and diabetes have skyrocketed if you look at the graphs of when the introduction of these crappy vegetable oils. This also was during a time when there was a big push towards saturated fat being bad for you. They were vilifying it very much to do with the statin drug industry. It all coincides to needing to push statin sales up and convincing doctors. But this huge shift in how we're supposed to eat and think of fats happened when I was a kid and I I was there, I saw it. And then by the time I was a teenager, we were having fake fats, like these, these, what it was, Olea, what was that fake one that they made the chips out? Oh yeah, and everybody got diarrhea. That became a big thing when I was a teenager and I kid you not, I saw my cousin, I hadn't seen her in years, I think we were in college. I saw her on a trip and she looked so gaunt and everyone's like, look how thin she is. She looks beautiful. She looked like ash. She looked like people who have gastric bypass surgery, just so ashy and gaunt. And she was living off of this, artificial fat. And I was like, oh, and then she tells me she's having diarrhea every day. And I remember thinking, well, that's not good. So I was also old enough to, this was all so coinciding with the advent of fake sugars. So we were getting artificial sweeteners and crappy seed oils introduced into our diet and being told at the same time to stop eating meat and salt and eggs. And it's just been an utter disaster ever since from my perspective, right? Like, I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you're a bit younger, but you've probably studied this more. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, I'm a registered dietitian and I was trained basically on everything that you're saying that, you know, saturated fats were bad and polyunsaturated fats should compose most of your the fats in your diet. So those were still part of the curriculum when I went through dietetic school, which was shoot six, seven years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I think you know, you, I was a, always a good student, straight A student right here, wanted to learn everything. And so I listened and I paid attention and I believed it until I started to do my own research. And you realize 
there's more to this this story that I was told. And so you talked about kind of the invention or you know when those processed oils became more prevalent. It's actually a really funny story. Um, so Procter and Gamble, the company, were actually the first to kind of discover that they could use these seeds to make this type of oil. So um, at this time they were making soaps, they were making lotions, like they were in that business and they were using, you know, like coconut oil, palm oil, uh, but those were a little bit more expensive. So they were on this hunt for this cheaper oil that they could use or this solid fats that they could use to make those products. But what they found is that there was this excess of um, cottonseed oil that was really just thrown away as kind of a waste product, but they could use, and this is where trans fats come in, the lo lovely trans fats, we, they could use this hydrogenation process to make this a solid fat and that could be used for their needs, but it could also be used for cooking and consumers jumped on that, right? Because it's affordable. It lasts for a long time. It doesn't have a smell, um, a lot of benefits, but that's where the invention of trans fats and Crisco kind of came in from Procter & Gamble, which is so funny. Um, but now we know, you know, as of 2018, trans fats are banned from the food system. They're still there in very small amounts and allowed to be not even listed on the label if they're in very small amounts. So they're still there, but we know that that was really, really detrimental to health, to obesity, to all of these metabolic health processes. Um, but with that finding, they also found, hey, we could use these vegetable oils, these seed oils, we could make a lot of money and consumers like them. They're cheap, a lot of benefits there. And I don't think, you know, they had ill intentions. Maybe I like to believe the best, but what happened after that is that we relied solely on those fats. Um, and we saw a lot of detrimental um, outcomes from that. Yeah. I mean, obesity rates skyrocketed, heart disease rates skyrocketed, diabetes rates skyrocketed. So this takes us back to metabolism, um, which is really why we're here because that's what I always harp on is having healthy, good, healthy metabolic function. And the NutriSense continuous glucose monitor system helps with that tremendously. I have found that to be, and I have, I, I know I say this all the time. I have everything, you guys, between being a physician in a regenerative medicine clinic. So I have had hyperbaric in my clinic for years, uh, sauna, infrared, like I have everything. I have the aura ring. I have the whoop. I have all the gadgets and gizmos and I have tried them all. And the one thing that I constantly go back to regularly, if not quarterly or more often is this continuous glucose monitor so that I can look at what foods are doing to me. And it's not just about sugar. It's not just about um, what I'm putting in my mouth even. It's my stress, my sleep, my reaction to things. Anticipating stress makes my blood sugar spike. I mean, it's and it's it gets more brittle as we age. I don't have a better word for it. Like our adaptability to carbohydrates and to blood sugar swings gets a little more brittle. Have you seen that with your clients as they've aged? Like it's just, they're just not quite as adaptable as they once were. And then on top of it, when I eat sources of oil, I feel worse and my blood sugar does weird stuff. And it doesn't just happen right then. It's like weird for a while for maybe the rest of the day, or I'll see disruptions in my sleep, even blood sugar spikes during sleep. And it has little to do with when I ate. It's everything to do with what I ate. And so I would love to talk about that. And maybe if you've seen any things specific with seed oils and your experience looking at probably hundreds and thousands of these uh, readings on people's monitors. Yes, 100%. And I think I'm right with you. I think the one thing, well, one of the things, one of the most impactful things people can do to understand their metabolisms and see where their efforts are going to make the most impact is to wear a CGM. There is really no other way to see how your body's responding in real time than to put that CGM on, scan it, and then see in real time on your phone how all of those meals, including seed oils, including carbohydrates, anything else um, is impacting you. And we've definitely noticed that um, over time, uh, the seasons of life can impact how your body responds to those specific foods. So there's a lot of reasons behind this, but um, I think one thing to touch on first, and this kind of 
ties in seed oils is that we talked about when you have high amounts of omega-6 fatty acids in your diets and not enough omega-3s to kind of balance that out, you can contribute or produce, enhance the inflama inflammation in your body. And so I think that's a huge thing that we see kind of acutely, but also chronically, is that if you have that low-grade kind of consistent inflammation going on in your body, that can also influence your glucose responses. So as you know, and your you know listeners probably know, inflammation and in, in not excess can be a good thing, right? That's our body's signal that maybe some more attention needs to be drawn to a specific area or um, you know something's going on. But when you have that low-grade chronic inflammation all the time, i.e. you're eating a standard American diet, you are um, really high stress, you're not getting enough sleep, all of those things are compiling over time, so years, decades, this is where it can really add up. And you can see that kind of impact in your metabolic responses to food and all those other lifestyle factors. So when we look at um, inflammation and glucose, so the thing that I look at all day long is glucose, right? And when we see inflammation or we think about inflammation, there's really this bi-directional relationship. So if you have a lot of inflammation going on in your body that is going to reduce your insulin sensitivity so you know if you have this acute inflammation you might have a really high response to a meal that you just responded great to yesterday and that's because this inflammation is there and that's impairing your body's ability to perform its normal duties so i always think of this or a good example is when you have the flu when you have covid when you have um, just any sort of illness it's kind of the same way your body perceives that as a stressor and it's going to tamp tamper down its insulin sensitivity so that there's more fuel available to fight against whatever that threat is and again short periods of time like the flu, that's normal, that's good. Your body's doing its normal processes to fight against whatever's ailing you. But over time, if you have that chronic inflammation, that's where you can start to see glucose kind of elevate and, and increase throughout the years. And then on the other side, if you have high glucose, so all the time your, your blood sugar's high, maybe you're eating poorly, you're not managing your stress, you're not sleeping well, any of those factors are happening over time for a long period of time, that is also pro-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So that high glucose values can cause uh, microvascular damage and that can lead to oxidative stress and then endothelial damage and then increased inflammation. And it's this big loop that ultimately over time can result in those chronic lifestyle related diseases that we know and love, um, you know, <laughs> obesity, we can see um, metabolic dysfunction, insulin sensitivity issues, insulin resistance, all of those things don't happen at one moment. They happen after years, decades of that process happening and just our lack of awareness to what's going on in our body. That was so well put. <laughs> Just want to I want to high five you through the screen, so well put. And I I want the audience to rewind and listen to that part over, and maybe turn make it go slower so you can hear what she just said because that is it in a nutshell. This is what's wrong. This is a disaster, you guys, coming down the chute. We are in a mess as a species, and this is it right here. What you just said is it, and people don't understand that. They think these things are isolated issues, isolated incidents. Going back to cardiovascular issues, the insides of your vessels, that's called the endothelium, there is a glycocalyx there, which is, I like to think of it as like a, it's a structured water but not to complicate it, think of it like a forest, like a lush forest. And I did a whole episode with Dr. Lauren Latanza on this back. I'll, I'll, I'll post the episode here in the show notes. But she talks about this at length. Anyway, think of this glycocalyx. When your blood sugars are whacked out, you're caramelizing your cells, first of all, in the simplest way to put it, right? Like the oxidative stress on the cell is caramelizing these sugars on your cells. But this glycocalyx is it's a forest that gets burned down by this inflammation you just mentioned. So the inside lining of your vessels of your cardiovascular system basically have no protective layer. The forest is getting burned down over and over again. And the cool thing about the glycocalyx is it can like re-establish itself and go away very quickly. And so, I mean, I'm talking in kindergarten terms. I'm, I'm sort of, you know... <laughs> I'm kind of gumming it up, but this is in the in its grossest form. This is how it works. So this is what I think about is like, am I going to put this thing in my mouth that's going to burn down my glycocalyx in my forest inside my vessels? That's 
that's literally where I'm at. I walk into Starbucks. I'm starving. I hate Starbucks, by the way. But if I'm starving and that's the only thing on the road trip and I go in there, I look at all everything in the counter, the little glass case, and I'm like, all of this is going to burn up my glycocalyx. And that slow, low burn, that 90, what, I think in 2018, a study came out saying that 94% of US adults had busted metabolic health, busted cardiovascular, you know, cardiometabolic health. Um that's a lot of people. And then when you think about the heart disease that that is potentiating, I firmly believe that 99% of cardiovascular issues are due to poor metabolic health, simmering that fire for so long. And then if you if you make it past that, guys, you're looking at the, the last stat I looked at just the other day, up to 40%, 10 to 40% of type 2 diabetics will end up in chronic kidney failure and on dialysis. So you're looking at a life of being hooked up to a machine several times a week, getting your blood filtered, which is a utter disaster. And if you make it past all that, you're looking at pretty much a guarantee of dementia and Alzheimer's. This is why I pound the drum on metabolic health. And then going back to COVID, these viruses induce a transient diabetic state in the patient because of exactly what you said. We've got to free up sugar to go fight the battle. Like we need blood sugars to get our immune systems fueled to go. And so there is this transient diabetic state that happens. And I think the reason early on we were seeing such severe decompensation in patients was because they were already going into it metabolically unsound. Right, They were already going into it sitting in this. Most people don't realize that they have metabolic disease or that they're diabetic. And so they went into the hospital already having their blood sugars whacked out. And then the COVID itself causes, and so does the flu, and so does every other infectious process. It, it puts you into a transient uh, metabolic so does pregnancy. It's all purposeful. The insulin is there for a reason. The blood sugar is there for a reason. So anyway, to simplify it, you want to go into these things in good fighting condition. That's it. You want to walk through life in good fighting condition. Chronic stress will burn down your glycocalyx of your endothelium. So if you're living a stressed out life, we can't always change all those factors, but we can control what we put in our mouth and we can control our sleep habits and we can control our exercise habits to some degree. So this is where, this is what I'm trying to always harp on in this show is like, Get your shit together, guys, because there's a lot of factors we don't have full control over, but the ones we do, we can double down on. And I think this is where that CGM is so powerful because you may think you're doing all the right things. For me, I thought I was doing all the right things, but I was in a really stressed out period and holy smokes was that wreaking havoc, right? So yes, I can't control those some of those stressful factors. They're familial, things are happening, but I can control the other factors, like I said, you know, so this is where having some feedback in real time, I think is just, it's crucial. And I, it's a shame that doctors won't prescribe it for healthy people very often. And this is where a company like yourself comes in very handy for folks who are interested in finding out because their doctors won't cover it. And I think it's just such a phenomenal investment in oneself and one's health to take a good hard look at a month's worth, at least at the very least of what their blood sugars are doing all day. 100%. And I mean, for me as a practitioner as well, it's been eye-opening because you learn all these things, but I think just any human is going to retain it best when you actually see it in practice, right? So I've been preaching, eat your protein first, eat, um, you know, mostly non-starchy vegetables and people can hear you, right? And they, they, they think, you know, what you're talking about, but when they're seeing that in the data on their body, there's, you cannot fight that. There is no way to ignore that data. And I think that's the missing piece, right? We have all this education. Some of it's great, some of it's not, but we have a lot of education out there. So I don't think that's really the issue. It's just people learn best by seeing and they want to know that these changes they're making are going to make an impact in real time. If you're thinking, oh yeah, I know I need to prioritize my metabolic health because 10 years down the road, I want to be healthy. That's not as motivating. That's not sexy. But when you see, wow, if I eat this food right now, my blood sugar spikes to 180, there's that sticky habit. There's the thing that's going to stick. And it's going to remind you every time you pick up that same food, okay, is my metabolic health you know, more important than this? What changes can I make to optimize this? What um, you know, glucose hacks can I do to prioritize my metabolic health? And that's, I think, the beautiful thing about that real-time data is that you have the power back in your hands. Yes. You mentioned a lot of this stuff is in your control, but there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about that. People think, well, I already have this, so I guess I'm just 
here. You know what I mean? This is just is my lot in life. But we know that 80% of those chronic lifestyle related diseases that you've mentioned can be prevented or at least delayed if you act early enough. So if you're able to identify it and really just make those small changes over time, you can prevent or at least delay it, improve your health span, improve your lifespan. And that's where I think it can become powerful. It can become sexy because you can have that power back in your hands. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do because that that click is is the best thing ever. It's huge. It's objective visual data and there's nothing more compelling than that. And, you know, another, taking this back to seed oils, two things. One is, as far as objective data goes, when I would take a patient on a journey towards wellness, it took about 90 days for us to start seeing definitive changes in their lab values. And that can be disheartening because they're doing all the right things. They want to run their labs a month in. And I'm like, okay, but it's a waste of your money because we're really not going to see a lot of changes. I actually think part of that's due to seed oils. I think that's partially due to that cellular turnover, that cellular membrane that takes time. That takes about 90 days to shift over. So that's partially due to it. Some of these people have really busted metabolisms coming in and they came to me at complete hot mess. And so it's going to take some time. But when we get to that 90 day mark and they see the efforts working. They see that objective data. It's very inspiring. But you guys, with a CGM, you can see it in real time. It like immediately, it's so cool to see. And it's so much more inspiring and keeps your willpower going and compelling to keep doing the right things because you're seeing it all in real time. And then when you flub up, you're like, oh, well, at least I, you know, flubbing, going into a flub up, knowing you're flubbing up is a whole different ball game than having no idea what's happening and feeling really disempowered. And so I'm not perfect by any means. I mean, I ate popcorn at like 10 o'clock last night and I looked at my husband. I'm like, this is a bad idea. We should have gone to bed an hour ago and we shouldn't be eating popcorn. (laughs) Totally disrupted my sleep, you know, whatever. But, and my gut doesn't feel so great today. But I knew going in what I was doing and I knew what it was going to do to my blood sugar because I've used the CGM enough. Point being, when you're empowered and you make decisions, at least you're making a, an educated decision around something instead of not having any clue and feeling really, really just like leaving it to the ethers or to the or to God or what. You know, I, I saw a meme. People get mad at me about this meme, but it's a meme. It's Jesus. And he's like, Karen, this is not in God's hands. You've got type 2 diabetes. <laughs> you need to get it together. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> You need to make some changes, lady. And I, 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 that's the truth, right? That's where we're at. And so having a monitor that really gives you that real-time data, I think can be very, very compelling to continue to make the right decisions along the way. And then the second thing I wanted to ask you about was, I don't know if you made the real, somebody, you guys have such a great Instagram. I love your, it's so educational and everybody go follow NutriSense on Instagram. It's really, I learned so much there or it, it helps solidify, you know, the knowledge base I have and makes, you know, sometimes puts it in different terms that I think are more understandable for people. Anyway, um, there was one on there about eating fat with carbohydrate and how, so I was always trained that you want to eat fat with carbohydrate because it will keep the spike lower because the glue, the, the carbohydrate won't cause such a blood sugar spike. But in this reel, was that you who did this or was it some, I can't remember who who made it that real? Someone else, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So she said that the fat with the carbohydrate kept the spike up for longer. And so I wanted to talk to you about that because we're talking about fats. And is this because maybe they were using a crappy kind of fat or because they were, I mean, would that happen as much with like a tallow or a butter or a ghee? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. But I was always trained that too. And I do think there's a lot of truth to that. So we know that carbohydrates are our quickest digesting macronutrient, right? We have an enzyme in our mouth that before you even swallow it, your body's processing that. And that's why if you ever get low blood sugar, if you're hangry, that's the thing you crave. You're not craving, you know, tallow. You're craving a a dense carbohydrate source because your body's telling you, you need to get your blood sugar up quickly. And we can process that into blood sugar more rapidly. But when we add a fat, um, fat is our slowest digesting macronutrient. So that digestion doesn't happen until much later in the digestive process. So by pairing those things, you can blunt that spike and slow down the response. But there's a couple caveats there. So because fat is slower to digest, sometimes it can take too long for that glucose curve to return back to normal. 
So just to lay the groundwork there, when we're looking at a glucose response to food, there are three main things we're looking at. We want to keep it below a certain peak, and that varies from person to person. You know, there's been a lot of evidence that shows staying below 140 is ideal. Some people prefer to keep it below 120. I think there's some individuality there, um, but you want to keep that peak low and controlled. And again, those high peaks can contribute to inflammation, um, and which we don't want. You also want a small shift in glucose. So what that means is you're going to start out at a certain glucose value. And then when you eat, it's normal. Your glucose is going to increase. That's what we want to happen. But the degree of that shift can tell you a lot about your metabolic health and whether that food was a good food for you or not. If you have a huge shift that can cause your energy levels to be disrupted. That can cause you to crash really quickly. And also that contributes to more variability in your glucose. And that is one of the biggest predictors for cardiovascular disease risk. So we want to keep these small little shifts. And that's where adding a fat can really help kind of reduce that shift. Um, so in that case, it can be really helpful. The thing that the other, the last final piece of that glucose curve is how quickly it returns back down to baseline. So we want to get eh, back to around normal or your starting baseline glucose within about two to three hours after eating. And that's just a sign that your insulin did its job, right? It responded to that glucose. It brought glucose back down and now you're stable. But when we have fats uh, combined with carbohydrates, sometimes that can take longer than three hours. And that's again, because fat is our slowest digesting macronutrient. So a lot of pieces can play into that. You kind of hinted to that if you have like a really cruddy fat, or if you have a really high proportion of fats that can take longer for your body to process. And that's not necessarily what we want because that is telling your insulin over and over, you got to keep working. You got to get that glucose back down. So that just overworks your insulin and that's not what we want. So there's a beautiful like middle ground where you can have a little bit of fat of the right type of carbohydrates that produces that beautiful glucose curve. But that's where it takes a lot of experimentation. For me, whole food fats, boom, I can get right back down to baseline. Yeah. But if I have foods like pizza, right? Really high in fat from all the cheese and the pepperoni and all these other things, but also high in carbohydrates that can take a really long time to get back down to baseline. And sometimes we'll see multiple spikes in glucose because again, your insulin is just working overtime to try and get that back down. Same sort of thing with fried foods. So this also goes back to the type of fat, right? If you're frying something, uh, it's already a processed carb with that breading. And then you have that seed oil that you're frying it in that can take a really long time to get back down to baseline. So to sum it up, yes, I think the type of fat that you're choosing matters, but also every single person is going to have a different perfect ratio that they can process well. For me, it's a little bit of fat, so like a dollop of peanut butter or maybe an egg um, with my carbohydrates really helps keep it aligned, but that's going to look differently for everyone. Um, and then the other piece, sorry, that you can play with is the amount of exercise or activity afterwards, because that can kind of help you get back down to a stable place a little bit more rapidly. Yes. Yeah. So again, a good reason to check out a monitor and see like what's, what's happening for you, because it's different for all of us. And it's different for me from year to year. I used one of these back in 2020 when life was really stressful and I was taking a lot of bullets <laughs> online for not going along with the narrative and totally, and I was drinking alcohol regularly, a totally different response in my graph than the last round when I did it and things were like pretty, you know, pretty clear cut. Um, sl again, sleep and stress will do all kinds of, and alcohol will do all kinds of crazy things to your blood sugar, not just in real time, but over the long haul. So let's tie this up and tie it back into hormones because that was the promise. Um, two things I have, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. Number one, your hormones are made out of cholesterol. Your sex hormones are made out of cholesterol. So the type of fats you eat and whether or not you're getting good, healthy, saturated fat has a lot to do with your hormonal production. And then number two, something I've talked about this whole month has kind of been the theme of hormones and metabolism is that if your hormones or I'm sorry, if your metabolism is not dialed in, you're going to have a very hard time having hormonal balance at all. And then lastly, I'll say if you just put in vegetable oil and estrogen and go look at the studies. It's crazy, but there's one in particular I wanted to share. In 1960, they injected 
mice with vegetable oils and the uterine weight increased, meaning it was pro-estrogenic. And then byproducts from the milling of cereals were also capable of eliciting a uterine response. So they were getting, anytime your uterus starts to grow, it usually means there's estrogens in the, in the, in the field. So I thought that was really interesting that even since 1960, we had a decent idea. So whether these things are pro-estrogenic or whether they're wreaking havoc on um, hormonal pathways and intermediates, or simply just wreaking havoc on your metabolic health in general, your hormones are not going to be happy. So yet another reason to avoid really, really crummy refined carbohydrates, but more importantly, putting some emphasis on those crummy seed oils. What are your thoughts? 100%. I I think you said it beautifully there. I would just add to your thought on cholesterol. Yes, we, we do need cholesterol. And I think a lot of the reason why we include so many seed oils in our diet is related to some of the research that was done on cholesterol and how that was Um, incorrectly assessed and reported upon back in the day, right? So the reason why we changed our dietary recommendations for Americans to, you know, focus on reducing saturated fat and increasing PUFA um, as part of your sole source of fat is because, as you probably know, um, the Minnesota coronary experiment, right? A lot of those big studies where they looked at what happens when you reduce saturated fat in the diet and you replace it with polyunsaturated vegetable oils, that results in a reduction in cholesterol. So researchers saw that data and they said, awesome, goal achieved. This is what we're going to recommend. And now that we've reassessed and we looked at the total research results, because a lot of that was not released um, back in the day, now we know that, yes, it decreased cholesterol, but all-cause mortality increased when we uh, changed it out for polyunsaturated fatty acids. So yes, Cholesterol can be reduced, but when you think through the lens of hormones, is that a good thing, right? If we are relying on good sources of whole food fats to create the cholesterol that's in our hormones, and that's all related, you can see how seed oils are not supportive of that good quality hormone health. Um, And again, I'm all for, I don't think you need to reduce all omega-6s. They're not the devil, but I think being more cognizant of where you're getting your fats where you're getting your foods from, limiting those processed foods is one of the biggest and most impactful strategies to support hormone health. Amen. And I'll I'll finish with this. I have been eating the same way that I currently eat long before there was a term carnivore, long before the word paleo existed. I have been eating this way since the mid 90s and definitely since to some degree and then definitely doubled down on it in probably the early 2000s. Um, you, my labs are enviable. I have never, shoot, if anything, my cholesterol is still low. And we've had data since 2015. I mean, we've had very clear cut data since 2015 that cholesterol and saturated fat is not the enemy. And I'm sorry for all the listeners, if your doctor did not get the memo or if you didn't get the memo, but since 2015, we have known it, the freaking American Medical Association came out and agreed that Saturated fat and cholesterol is not the enemy from meat sources. And we have so much data coming out currently that meat is not the enemy. So I am living proof. I know I'm not the only one. I've got lots of patients as well. But if you want a good, nice, balanced blood sugar throughout the day, getting adequate protein, in my experience, specifically from beef has made a huge difference or ruminant animals in general has made a huge difference getting those good healthy fats in there. And then just like you said, just being aware. I hope this episode is really informative for people. Just bringing in awareness to what it is that you're putting in your mouth and the oils that you're using can have such a tremendous impact across the board. So thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun and I learned a lot and I hope the audience gleaned a lot from it. Do you, um, I know that folks can get $30 off the Nutrisense CGM system in the show notes link follow the link in the show notes and use code Dr. Tina, but where else do you want to send everybody? Yeah, I would send a, send you, like you mentioned to our uh, Instagram, come learn, even if you don't wear a CGM, but you want to learn more about metabolic health, follow us NutriSenseIO on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, Twitter. So just join the fun and join the learning. I think we are really all passionate about what we do. So uh, if you want to learn more, come follow us. Yeah, you guys are such a great team and really high energy, really, really educational, informative. And I'm glad that you're out there helping people out. And it was so fun to get to know you better today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And thanks for all you do as well. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of The Dr. Tina Show comes one of Apple Podcasts' top 10 nutrition shows hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming, but that's why Courtney's here to help. She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app.